please turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. One of the, I guess, biggest struggles for Christians, and this may be the biggest struggle, it's what you might call an identity crisis. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, you, until you're born again, you're in a world that is not of God. The, uh, you know, you lost people everywhere, lost stuff everywhere, sin, just, it's everywhere, literally. And because of that, we are overly influenced by that which is not of God. That Even if you're raised in church like I was, it's still overly influenced by that which is not of God. And this is one of the reasons why, in the Old Testament, God told Israel, if it's not of me, kill it or drive it out. No two options. Just, it's got to, you've got to get it out. He said, because if you don't, it will begin to influence you away from me. Well, sure enough, we see over and over again, that's what happened. Israel refused to do what God told them to do. It influenced them, and then they began doing like the world, to the point that over and over again, God would send a a prophet or prophets. They would go in and say, hey, you're messing up, get it right, or something's going to happen. And over and over again, stuff happened. The, um, The people would repent, and everything would be okay. Then it go bad again. And what makes it even worse is the fact that repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly, the nation of Israel accepted kings from within their midst who had completely turned their backs on God. This happened over and over and over again, and bad things happened. And finally, God said, all right, you know what? I put up with you guys. For a few centuries, I've had it. And here's the deal. You're going into captivity for 70 years. He gave prophets to tell them about this. And the people rose up against, They no, that's not going to happen, that's not going to happen, nothing bad's going to happen, you know, we're God's children. They... uh, they had other prophets rise up and say, yeah, yeah, you know, this person over here is not speaking for God. I'm speaking for God, and I'm telling you the bad things aren't going to happen. We are great. Yes, we are. Well, guess what? The bad things happened. What I'm getting at is this. Once we're born again, unless we get God's perspective on our existence, then we will live every day of our lives with an identity crisis. We're not going to really know who we are. Are you, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what, what's that mean? Well, I'm you know, washed in the blood of Jesus. And, uh, and I'm born again. Well, what do you mean you're born again? Well, you know, there's a new me inside. I'm born again. Okay. So then, 
what does that mean as far as you living here on earth? Well, I'm going to heaven. Okay, well, that, that sounds pretty good. Is that it? Oh, no, there's all other kind of stuff. We talk a lot, but we don't live very much. We are we're more like the world than what we'd like to admit. And in a, not literally speaking, but figuratively speaking, we should walk around with an aura of glow about us. Now again, not literally. Don't, I'm not getting weird on you. But there should be such a difference in us that some people actually sense it. Even to the point of us walking by them, some of them should sense it. That's how different we should be. But we are so used to just continuing to exist in this world. All right, let me put it like this. How many of you, um, just don't raise your hands or anything, but you got born again after, you know, your teen years, your 20s, your 30s, whatever. I mean, you got born, you weren't born again at age two. You got born again later on in life. What's different? You say, well, you know, I don't drink anymore. All right, well, praise God. What else? Well, I, you know, I don't do drugs anymore. That's great. What else? Well, I don't, you know, you know, fool around. Okay, praise the Lord. What else? Well, I don't cuss as much. <laughs> All right, making progress. Um, what else? Well, I go to church now. Okay, praise God. All right, but what else? What else? What is different? In Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 15. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. In other words, when you're born again, religion is irrelevant. You understand what I mean? Religion is irrelevant. What matters, you know, circumcision, Jewish, nor uncircumcision, that's Gentile. In other words, your earthly status is totally irrelevant. The only thing that matters is this, that you are a new creature. That's it. That's all that matters. No matter what you do here on earth, it, it, it pales in comparison to the whole new creature thing. Look, anybody can play the religious game. I've heard stories of uh, gospel singers who didn't get saved until years after they were already singing. That was their career. That's what they were doing. I've heard um, there was one particular singer. I won't give names. He was a part of a Southern Gospel Quartet. And he, had, his dad was a pastor, raised in church, and I'm a Baptist church. You must be born again. All right? It wasn't like this guy didn't know. And he'd been singing in gospel music for I don't know how many years. And he, and he told a story about himself. He said, then one night, you know, I just, I finally came to the point, I don't know what was going on. 
um, as far as the valley he was going through. But he, he said, I finally realized that I didn't know Jesus. He went, and he said, and, and right then is when I prayed and gave my heart to the Lord. The guy had been singing gospel music for years and didn't know the person he was singing about. But, and I'd seen the guy in concert. You wouldn't know. So, circumcision, uncircumcision, doing, not doing, the only thing that matters is what he says right here, a new creature. That's it. That's what matters. And you'll understand more clearly here in a few minutes, but look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just standing here. The Lord reminded me of a story that I had forgotten. It was my mom. (laughs) My mom, raised in church. And... We, um, I remember this. I, I don't remember all the details, but anyway, my mom, I mean, every time the doors were open, she and dad, they're there at church. Faithful, committed, involved. I mean, involved. Mom taught Sunday school, on and on at once. And I don't know what happened, but she came to the place of... Not really thinking she was born again. And so what she did was pray the sinner's prayer again to be sure. And she even went so far as to get baptized again. And I clearly remember it for whatever reason that Sunday night. I think it was, you know, dad stayed home, kept me at home. Mom went to church and got baptized. It I, look, guys, this was so long ago, I don't remember the details, okay? So grace, please, some grace. And I'm not saying that mom wasn't born again, but there was something that happened that caused her to think, hey, listen, mom wasn't into sin, okay? Trust me, that was not my mother at all. The point I'm getting at is, when you, when, if you don't know your new creatureness, then you are going to live with an identity crisis continually. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This word, new, it comes from the Greek word kainos. And um, I've kind of shortened the definition But it means newly made, not before known, newly introduced, not just redone or remade, but completely different in form and nature. Completely different in form and nature. In other words, when you got born again, the blood of Jesus Christ did not simply cleanse your old sin nature of sin. You were made new. You were canosed. <laughs> you were made new, newly made. The moment you got born again, you came into existence as someone who had not before been known. Even though people could look at you and say, oh, yay, hey, Guido, how you doing? 
Well, in the natural, yeah. But they really did not know you. Because you were new. If you got born again yesterday, and you went to work the next day, and then you walk into the job, and everybody says, hey, how you doing, how you doing? They think they know who you are. But the truth of the matter is, the guy that went home on Friday is not the guy that came to work on Monday. Now, in our minds, we're thinking, that's just weird. But no, this is God's perspective. This is what God sees. He sees the real you as newly existent, still living in a corrupted shell. That's what God sees. All too often what we see is the corrupted shell that's got something on the inside of it we call born again. But we are looking at the outside, and even God in the Old Testament, when he was talking to Samuel about who's going to be the next king of Israel, and Samuel thought, oh, well, it's got to be this guy right here. Boy, look at him, big, strong. And God said, nope, not him. And, you know, all these other brothers. And God explained to Samuel, he said, look, when it comes to things like this, I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking on the inside. And so David ends up getting chosen. Well, by the same token, we were not just redone. We were not just cleansed or the old, you know, buffed out. No, we are completely different in form and nature. Completely different. You're not what you used to be. Look, um, look in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us in verse 16, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now guys, listen. <laughs> He's talking, look here, look at this. this. The Holy Spirit bears witness with what? Our body or our spirit? Our spirit. Because that's the part of us that is kanos, new, brand new, never before existed. The body, this, this body that we have right now, okay, it is not a child of God. All it does is facilitate our existence on this planet. Well, doesn't the Bible tell us that, you know, the body without the spirit is dead? <laughs> so if, if you step out of your body, then guess what? Your body instantly stops. It just falls on the floor. And everybody rushes over. Gives it CPR and all this other. But that, that's it. I mean, the real you, that born-again part of you, that made new part of you is on the inside of this body. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And all too often what we're doing is trying to and I maybe say it like this, we're trying to get a bearing witness with our body. We're trying to get a bearing witness with our feelings, with our emotions. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 I'm bearing witness with your spirit. You are a child of God. And then if you look over in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, take a look at verse 
24. Ephesians 4.24, it says, And that you put on the kainos man, the new man, which, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. So then, on the inside of you, the born-again part of you, that new man part of you, it is created in righteousness and true holiness. Just like Adam was. Just like Jesus. You now exist in righteousness and true holiness. Unless we come to the place of, of really getting a hold of this, we start living with a, an identity crisis. Because otherwise, a lot of the questions that we have, a lot of the doubts that we have about whatever, they're based on, or they come out of, the fact we really don't understand that we're new and we're not what we used to be. You know, how many times have you know, people talked about, you know, I don't even feel saved. <laughs> In other words, you don't feel born again. You don't feel kainos. In other words, the confirmation of you being a child of God is based on how you feel, not based on what God says. Did you not put your faith in Jesus? Well, yeah. Did you not pray to be born again? Well, yeah. Did you mean it? Well, yeah, I meant it. Well, okay then. There you go. You're a new creature. Yeah, I know, but... Ah, there we go. See that? If we're going to live the victorious life that God desires for us to live, we have to get past the, yeah, but. And accept this fact that we are new, and until we got born again... We had never existed anywhere in the universe. Never existed. Well, I, yeah, but, but, okay. If we could come up with a very simplistic formula as to how that works, you know, one plus one equals two, okay? If we could come up with a simplistic formula like that to explain how we became new, then, oh, okay, now I get it. But coming up with a formula like that means it's a formula based on the physics of a fallen world. Okay, that doesn't work. We're talking about physics that come from God's realm. And our human minds can't understand it. That's why there's so much about faith in the Bible. This is... A key to how so many of, uh, you know, we hear these stories of preachers that they operated in what we call the supernatural, the power of God, the anointing. Well, one of the reasons they were able to do that was because they began getting a deeper understanding of their newness, who they are in Christ, and that God isn't operating, God isn't anointing my flesh, he's anointing my spirit that operates through my flesh. That's how it works. Hey, here's one for you. When Jesus was here on earth, do you understand his body was not anointed? <laughs> you do understand that, right? His body was not anointed. It was his spirit. And his spirit operated through his body. And he kept his body mortified before God so his spirit, by the anointing of God, could operate freely through his body. It's really... It's really weird, some of the ideas that a lot of Christians have about Jesus. 
Do you know there are some people that actually teach that when Jesus was on earth, his, he never, his feet never made contact with the earth. That where, yeah, seriously, that wherever he walked, he was like, a, like an inch above the ground because he was holy and he couldn't come in contact with this cursed planet. Well, that's, fine. that's interesting because the Bible says he laid hands on fallen people, right? Mm-hmm. And what was that? He spit and made mud? So yeah, okay. I guess maybe he got holy spit that sanctified the dirt. But I know, <laughs> that sounds weird. But see, when you begin to understand, the, when we begin to understand the fullness, okay, I'm new. I'm not what I used to be. Now, if we're going to have success in this life, really, success, then the one thing we have to do is accept the fact that, okay, I'm new. I'm not what I used to be. And then along with that, we have to refuse to allow people to define our moods. We have to refuse to allow people to define our moods. Look over in Psalm 42. Psalm 42. And here in Psalm 42, take a look at verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Why would his soul have been cast down and disquieted within him? Because things weren't going well with the people around him. What people? Who knows how many there were. And he says, okay... I'm not going to let this happen. I'm just not going to be like this. I'm going to praise God. He's the health of my countenance. The people around you, maybe the person sitting next to you, the people around you, they will stink up your life if you let them. Every one of us in here, all the bad moods that we've been in, most likely... They're all directly connected to at least one person, if not more. A lot of Christians get in bad moods because of liberal politicians. Why? Well, because they're not doing right. They're lost. What do you expect? And even some Christians, they're carnal. What do you expect? I mean, if anything, you should rejoice. You say, what? Rejoice, yeah, because it just proves the Bible's right. <laughs> he tells you lost people are going to do things like that. Oh, yep, guess God was right again. Look over in, in Psalm 21. Psalm 21. Look here in verse 1. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. This is all about God, your salvation, who he is to you, who you are to him. The king shall joy. In other words, the people around me, they're not going to control my mood. And yet every single one of us in here, if we're honest, we're, <laughs> we all have allowed people to influence our mood far too much. Especially if you have kids who act like jerks. 
I can't, that kid, I'm telling you, I just, really? Yeah. I wonder how God reacted as he was watching Adam walk to that tree and reaching for that fruit. Well, we know what happened as a result. But guess what? Figure of speech, or, you know, a, a figure, an image, God interceded for Adam and Eve because he made coats for them. Now, there was no Savior for them you know, to appeal to, to be born again, but God was still there, and he still made the coats. You know what that represents for us today? Intercession for the, we, a coat of prayer over the whoever's, especially the kids. But we can't, we have to refuse, absolutely refuse to allow people to define our moods. But yet we're in a world where it is too easy for moods to be defined by others. That doesn't mean you never get angry. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Jesus, he got angry at times. But his, his mood, in other words, his overall demeanor was not about what the other people did. It was about my Father, which art in heaven. That's what governed him. Along with this, you have to let, or you have to refuse to let people define your mission. Say, oh, what's my mission? All right, good question. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So many Christians want to know, well, what is God's will for me? What's he want me to do? I need to find out. You know, pastor just prayed for me that I would know God's will. Okay. How about if I show you in the Word? You mean the Bible has my will? Oh, yeah. I'll show it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look here. Now, I'm, I'm not just saying this for the sake of having something to say in a sermon. This, what I'm going to be showing you in this verse and one more verse, this is your mission, my mission here on earth. This is it, right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See that? To know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What does that mean, Him crucified? What that means is, what, why did he go and get crucified? What was the result of his crucifixion? What does it mean to me? When I was among you, I determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because, see, the whole concept of knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified is all about discovering who you are, your newness. And look over in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, begin in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. 
When he's talking here about this, like the resurrection of the dead and so forth, he's talking about Jesus' resurrection and what it was like when Jesus rose from the dead. In other words, the fullness of who Christ is. His his life, the Christ life. And he's saying, look, everything about life, you know, my accomplishments and so forth, you know, I counted them as dung that I may win Christ. That I'm, he's already born again. But he's saying, I want the fullness of who Christ is. I want to know him. I want to know, as he says here, the fullness of righteousness. I want to understand, you know, what happened to me when I got born again. The righteousness, which is of God by faith. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. What is the power of his resurrection? It's the born again life. That what is in you, that is the power of of the resurrection. God raised Jesus to newness of life by the power of the that the power of an endless life. The scriptures talk about this. And he said, I want to know this. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know this. I want to understand that. Okay. That's our mission. To know Jesus Christ and him crucified, to know the power of his resurrection. To that is our mission here on earth. That is priority number one. Before anything else, that is number one. Yeah, but Jesus said, supposed to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and visit everybody in prison. So, yeah, that's right. But that comes after. That, that's not the priority. The priority is knowing Him. Because the more you know Him is the more you know you. The more we understand who we are, our newness, what we've become in Christ. And all too often, as Christians... We make the priority serving God. Well, I understand that. But the priority has to be what Paul has has explained to us in this. is to know Jesus Christ. That's number one. Beyond anything else, that is number one. Well, I thought number one was, you know, my, my ministry calling. No. Number one is knowing Jesus, because the more you know Jesus, the more you know the power of the resurrection, the more you know, the more you know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, etc. and so forth, what Paul is talking about here, is the more you're going to, going to know who He is, and the more He's going to be able to show you what your calling is, and how to operate in that calling according to you, the new you. See this? Our mission, our mission, is what we've just read here in these verses. But there are people who will redefine that mission for you. Have you ever been around Christians who try to, um, well, even lost people too? They want you to do something, and you're reluctant, but then they start throwing out the, but I thought you were a Christian. I mean, you're supposed to be a Christian. You know, I thought you loved, I thought you loved Jesus. And there are Christians that will do this to you. I thought, I thought you said that you, you know, were living for the Lord. Well, if you were really a Christian, you know, you, you would help me here. You'd be doing it. I find it really interesting. Lost people want to say things like that. It's like, okay, tell me more about what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> you don't even know what a Christian is. And then, you know, what's sad is when people say that kind of stuff, it's usually because they don't have their, you know, you're not standing there with your Bible at that moment. Otherwise, you could say, you know what, here. Show this to me in the Bible. Show this to me. 
Point these things out to me, what you're saying. Show me how that if I was a Christian, my priority right now would be doing what you want me to do. Can you show that to me? Then they'll probably come back, well, hey, you're just smart, Alec. You just think you know everything. You just say, well, I obviously know more than you. No, my priority is to know Jesus. <laughs> Do you know there were times, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every now and then you kind of get a little bit of a glimpse that, that the apostles thought Jesus ought to be doing this thing over here instead of this thing here. And you can see how that, you know, when you read, it's like they didn't really understand this. But Jesus made it clear. He said, look, I'm not here to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's because he knew his father. Okay, we need to know him. We need to come to that place to understand him. In the process, we're understanding our own newness. And again, this goes back to that whole uh, identity crisis because we're so busy trying to figure things out that we're not figuring us out. (laughs) And if we spend that time figuring us out, then that means we're doing it out of knowing who he is. Help me understand this, Jesus. Listen, if the Apostle Paul can write things like this, and God used him the way he used him, then guess what, guys? The same thing for us. I need to know him, the power of his resurrection, etc. and so forth. Along with this, Refuse to allow people to define your methods. You say, what do you mean by that? All right, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Go all the way toward the end of the chapter. Verse 33. But seek ye forth the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, that's not what it says. What does it say? Seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is, that's supposed to be our method. Method for what? Well, for everything. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I'm the righteousness of God, and again, this goes back to the identity crisis. All I know, the Bible says that I'm the righteousness of God, but sometimes I just don't feel like it. The Bible says I've been made out of righteousness, true holiness, but you know what? Sometimes I just don't feel like it. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The more I'm pressing in seeking this, the more I'm going to understand who I am. Look, a lot of Christians, no. I would say the majority of Christians. I'm not going to say 100%, but close to it. <laughs> the reason that, that we've experienced so much failure in our life is we don't know who we are. We just assume we're living in this world of fallenness and we're a part of it. But the Bible says something about in the world but not of the world. That we are aliens in this world. Well, we don't understand that. Because we see ourselves as being just like everybody else But we're going to heaven and they're not. Okay? That is not how Jesus saw himself. He knew, I'm in this body, and I'm not going to be in this body like this forever, here on this earth. I know who I am. I am of my Father. I and my Father are one. Didn't he say that? 
Yeah, he said that. Now, do you think he was just saying that to impress people or to make them mad? Or let's see who wants to kill me today. I and my father are one. No. And then he prays, Father, and I'm paraphrasing, Father, I pray that they, the people who believe on me as Savior, I pray they'd come to the understanding that they're in me, and I'm in them, and you're in me, and I'm in you. We're all in each other. To where we, listen, we can say, I and my Father are one. Oh, Brother Martin, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, hold on. Identity crisis, I and Jesus am one. Oh, no, no, Brother Martin. We are so uncomfortable in saying things like that that we don't want to say things like that because we think, well, that's a lie. Well, that's blasphemy. Well, God has slapped me down for that. I'm not going to hell. No, no. So I'm going to say that I am not one with God. And I am not one with the Father. And I'm not one with Jesus. Oh, I'm born again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'm not. not. See there? Jesus was so confident in who he was that the anointing God put on him, this, it operated, it was always flowing. It was always there. It was always going on. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, what do you want? I want to see. Okay, no problem. Receive your sight. Come on, guys, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's simple. That's because he knew who he was, and he knew out of who I am, this can happen. And all of us, you know, we want to have prayer meetings to try to have more power. And God is saying in his word, look, figure out who you are. You're new. You're not what you used to be. Look over in Philipp, um, Philippians, no, Matthew 16. There is no Philippians 16. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16. And look at verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, what then is my method in this? I need to understand the keys of the kingdom. Because I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm paraphrasing. When you operate by the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind will already have been declared as bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will already have been declared as loosed in heaven. In other words, I'm not going to go around with the keys and all. I'm not going to go around and say, I bind this. And then heaven says, oops, wait, I better bind that. He said so. No, when I'm operating by the keys, then I'm operating out of what heaven has already declared. It's the keys to the kingdom, not the keys to what I want. <coughs> so therefore, my method is, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But then I need to know these keys. I need to press it. This is my method. And I'm telling you right now, you have people, Christians, who are going to criticize you for attending a church like this. You spend too much time at church. You need a break now and then. You spend too much time at church. Weekends are supposed to be your time. Relax, kick back, go here, go there. 
I don't, I don't mean to sound cruel, but if that's how you think, you're never going to have kingdom success in this world. Not the way that you could. It's not going to happen. When the Bible talks about how that you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, then we, that's part of the identity crisis. We don't understand that. And there are too many Christians, well, you know, looking forward to the weekend. What are you going to do? Well, this weekend we're going to Lake so-and-so. Oh, yeah? Well, didn't you go to the lake? Oh, no, last week that was a different lake. And then a week after that, we're not going to the lake. We're going to the cabin. Well, I thought you went to the cabin. And, oh, it's a different cabin. We're going to a different. You see what I'm saying? Chris, man, this stuff goes on all the time. You know what? You don't answer to me, but you will answer to God for this, and it's wrong. It's wrong. Well, you're just saying church comes before everything. No, I'm not. I'm talking your relationship comes before everything. Guys, listen to me. Hear me out. When you press in to know who you are and to know him, you're going to understand a lot of the frilly stuff of life you can't do anymore. Flat out. You just can't. It isn't that you can't have fun. It isn't that you can't go on vacation. So on. Don't get me wrong here. Don't misquote me. But what I'm saying is, you, hey, do you really think Jesus, in all of his emotions, looked forward to spending three and a half years having people trying to kill him every time he turned around? Come on. That's not fun. <laughs> I'm down here serving God. I'm down here healing everybody and your brother. I'm down here delivering to you truth. I'm down here and you are trying to kill me because of it. Would you people stop and think about this? <laughs> what you're doing makes no sense. Search the scriptures. They point you to me. Yeah. I guarantee you there were times where he had to cast down imaginations of, seriously, you, I have no doubt, he was, people called him a carpenter. I'll bet you he was the best carpenter you could have found. I mean, if you wanted a rocking chair, buddy, he'd, he'd make sure it rocked. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you, there was a lot he could have done in life that he didn't do. I, I did not do this research, but I do know this. There were certain responsibilities and privileges for the elder son in a Jewish family. Do you realize Jesus walked away from all that to do what he was doing? Yeah. Yeah, because he knew, I'm not here to do my own will. I'm not here to have my own fun. I'm here to do what the Father wants me to do. And this whole thing about defining your methods, this goes along back to, um, or to include, prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. Because that's part of the method to discovering who you are, your newness, and understanding your mission, not having your mood defined by everybody else, but along with this, you know, if you're going to have this kind of success in life that God wants you to, you have to refuse time for self-pity and negativism. You have to refuse time for self-pity and negativism. You have to. You, you, you cannot let this happen. And there are too many people that have walked through the doors of this church over the years. Self-pity and negativism, it almost seems like that's the driving power in their life. See, these things, the self-pity, the negativism, it draws attention away from Christ 
onto self. Because at that point, it's all about me. It's all about what I'm going through. Oh, no, no, it's, it's about what my kid's going through, or you know, it's what my husband's going through. No, it's about you. You, you, you say it's about so-and-so, but you're the one that's fussing and complaining and boohooing and crying and going on about it. You've made it about you, which is extremely selfish. Because, see, if you really understood who you are, you wouldn't be fussing and complaining like that. This whole aspect of the self-pity and the negativism, it emphasizes the weakness of the flesh and the tactics of Satan while diminishing the strength of your new nature and the abilities of God. And you don't have to turn to this, but in Job 38, verses 1 through 2, God calls this, he says it darkens counsel, and he calls it words without knowledge. You can't afford to do this. It's actually a form of conceit. Speaking the worst, speaking the worst drives you away from believing the best. In other words, believing the Word of God. Speaking the worst drives you away from believing the Word of God. I've prayed for people over the years, prayed with them about something. And, you know, oh, thank you, Pastor. I feel so much better. Thank you. Well, then, a week later, same thing. Like, what? you got to be kidding me. Well, what's going on? Well, what's going on? And they don't realize it like this. But what's going on is, it's all about me. It's all about what I'm feeling on the inside. That's, that's what it comes down to. And you're letting people, you know, define your life. See, think about this. Hundreds of thousands, maybe even one or two, three million, I don't know, uh, people allowed ten, well, actually eight, eight men to define their mood, mission, and method, and their focus. And it kept them out of the promised land. Hundreds of thousands of people allowed eight people to control their destiny. Because they listened to what those eight people said and let it define their existence as opposed to letting God define their their future out of His Word and His promises and what He had done. The plagues, the deliver those people watched those waters part, walked across on dry land, and then watched the waters go back over the armies of Egypt. And they still let those eight men control their destiny. That's because they really did not, even in their fallen state, you know, not born again, they really didn't understand who they were. They were the people of the Abrahamic covenant. <laughs> They had a deal with God going here. And they, for 400 years they're crying out, where's the deliverer? Where's the deliverer? Moses shows up, gets them delivered. And what happens? Eight people controlled their destiny. And as people died, well, everybody you know, 20 and older, they died as a result. Who wants that? That's what happened. Along with this, you need, to be refuse, you need to refuse to be shackled by yesterday's failures. Refuse. Absol- you can't look. How many times have you laid in bed at night and thought about last week, last month, last year, when you were 10 years old, what you did? 
Hey, come on. I've been there. So have you. We, we've all. Look, look in uh, Luke. Luke chapter 9. I don't know why I did that. Well, you know, it's, it's already done and did. <laughs> Listen to this. In, in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The moment you get born again, figuratively speaking, you put your hand on the plow. Now, if you keep looking back at what you've done, and any, even the good stuff, but most people look back at the bad stuff. You keep doing that, and he says, you're not fit for the kingdom. Why is that? Okay, if you've got a plow and an ox and the ox is going forward, and you've got the reins, and the, the handle's on the plow, and you're looking back, you know what's happening? You're leading that ox all over the place. I mean, by the time you're done, your field's going to look like a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> and Jesus says, you're not fit. I, I can't use you like this. You keep looking back. Look in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You've got to be focused forward. You can't keep going back and... Thinking about the failures of the, they will, they lock you up. I can't do that. Why not? Well, you know, I couldn't do it 15 years ago, so I know I can't do it now. Really? Well, you know, things have changed. <laughs> Hopefully you've changed. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And in verse 12. God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember, remember no more. And really, we could throw that in. When that says that I will remember no more, it doesn't mean God's got a memory problem. You know, God doesn't have Alzheimer's, okay? What it, this is a, in the Greek, this is like a legal phrase. And what it means is, okay, double jeopardy. You know what double jeopardy is? You know, if you're found innocent for something then you can't be tried for it again. Okay? It, you, what, you guys don't watch Law and Order on TV? <laughs> you need to start watching Perry Mason reruns. Come on now. Let's go. <laughs> anyway, double jeopardy in this case would be Jesus was put on trial for all your stuff. He was found guilty. He went to the cross, shed his blood, died. He paid the penalty, death penalty, for what you did, for who you were. All right, now you put your faith in him, and you're born again. Because all that stuff from your past, he's the one who went to prison on your behalf. Even though he was innocent, he still did it for you. Okay, that means, boom, you're declared guilty. Now, God cannot come back to you and say, well, now just hold on. You remember when you were six years old? You remember that candy bar you stole? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we never really dealt with that, did we? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. No. 
It can't happen. Even though there may, may be a book that lists all these things that you did, the bottom line is, boom, not guilty, boom, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, on and on it goes. Some of us have a much thicker book than others. <laughs> not guilty. Even though those things happened, not guilty. And God says, look, I will remember them no more. Or in other words, I will never more call them to your account, ever. Never. And then over in 1 John, turn there. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so you messed up yesterday. You went to God, you repented. You confessed what you did. He says, okay, well, you know, I see your heart, you're serious. So I forgive you and I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Guess what? It's over and done. If we're going to, if we're going to succeed in this, Understanding our newness means understanding we can't allow ourselves to be shackled by yesterday's failures. Otherwise, we're going to keep trying to fix yesterday when it's already fixed. And besides that, how are you going to do that? How are you going to go back and change what happened? Oh yeah, we can lay in bed and think, boy, you know what? If I knew then what I know now, I could have done, I could have done, I would have done, I should have done. That's not going to work. You can't do that. You have to, and along with that, you have to refuse to talk about yesterday as though it is today and will be your tomorrow. Jesus even said there in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he said, you know, a good man out of the good treasury of his heart brings out the good stuff, and the other guy out of the bad treasure brings out the bad stuff out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, when the abundance of your heart is who you are in Christ, your newness, and what happened to you, and you understand that, that is what you speak, and you're not going to keep talking, even if it's inner talk, even if it's, you know, how we talk to ourselves, even if it's, you don't do that, because it's over and done with. I mean, I'll tell you what, boy, God dealt with me about that years ago. It was like, oh man, if I had only, oh man, if I had only, oh, and, and then finally one day, you know... He said, that stuff's over. Will you let it go? He said, stop it. Like, uh. Then it's like this little light went off. Going, yeah, it is over, isn't it? <laughs> I knew it was over. <laughs> Why was I wasting my brain power doing that? And every now and then, every now and then, you know, something tries to, well, you remember back when? I can't, nope, nope, nope. Uh-uh, it's over. It's over. Nope. Ain't doing that. Ain't thinking about that. That is not my today, and it will not be my tomorrow. My today is new like me, and my tomorrow will be new like me. My today is not my past. My tomorrow is not my past. It will be what God wants. That's it. We have to come to this place of understanding our newness and stop or, or refuse, well, let me, I'll run over these real quickly, real quickly. Refuse to allow people to define your moods. Refuse to allow people to define your mission. Refuse to allow people to define your methods. Refuse time for self-pity and negativism. Refuse to be shackled by yesterday's failures. Totally. 
when we get our identity, our, our inner awareness of our identity, who we really are, when, when we get that aligned with what God has said in his word, these things will start to happen. People are not going to define us for us. No, instead, God's word will be defining us for us. And that's how we live. Praise God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are new. You are Kanos. You are not what that sounds sound like a Star Wars person, you know, I am Kanos. <laughs> well, you are. I know the power of the new side. All right. Everybody stand. <laughs>